0: All right, this is uh, What is the Heart? Lesson 5. So we are now talking about the heart acting like the emotions. This ought to help challenge or nail every one of us because we are created in the image of God with emotions. It's a good thing to have emotions. It is not a good thing to be what we would call sinfully emotional. We cannot ask God to remove our emotions. They were found in Him first. And now they are in us. That's part of the way we are in his image and likeness. But we do need to learn how to harness him. Our next lesson after this is going to talk about, I am going to think I'm going to call it soul control. And all the scriptures that talk about how we can control our mind, how we can control our will, how we can control our emotions. And so we'll cover that more in depth in the next lesson. But this, this set of lessons or this, this particular lesson is going to show us the heart acting like emotions because we're proving our definition that our heart is the manifestation of our soul and that is the heart is a manifestation of what we emote and keep emoting. So let's jump in here. We've given the heart's definition as the manifestation of the operation of the soul of man, that is the manifestation of the operation of the mind, the will, and the emotions of man, whether born again or lost. And this is where we need to pay attention and make a distinction, because whether you're born again or lost, you have a heart. Whether you're born again or lost, because you have a heart, you can operate in faith. I, I reject the notion that faith comes when you're born again. Because the Bible says uh, every man has faith, but every man doesn't have the faith. That is the faith in Christ. But every man has been given a measure of faith. Uh, If that's not so, how do you get born again? Because remember Cornelius, he had a tremendous faith, but he wasn't saved. In fact, that was the prophecy to him. Go and send for a man called Peter, and he'll give you words whereby you and your household must be saved. So he had faith. He had faith in the Torah. He had faith in the law. He was offering alms and offerings, and they came up as a memorial before God. It was his faith that moved God. Furthermore, all of Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, without faith it's impossible to please God, every one of those people was not born again. They were all dead spiritually, and yet they are in the hall of faith because they had a heart And faith is of the heart. Faith is not of the born-again human spirit. Faith is a spirit. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 13. But faith is not of the spirit. Faith is of the heart. And we've taught that for 12, 13 years around here, proven it many, many times. All right. So whether you're born again or lost, you have a heart. Whether you're born again or lost, you have a mind, will, and emotions that flexes And that becomes your heart. When that thing flexes, that's your heart. The one with the issue of blood, she said within herself, and that was faith. And so we just need to be mindful that whether born again or lost, people have a heart, and we need to be able to feed their heart the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can be born again. The heart is whatever a man thinks and keeps on thinking, wants and keeps on wanting. And for this lesson, we're going to focus on the heart is whatever a man emotes and keeps on emoting. So... This lesson will evaluate many of the verses that indicate our hearts, acts like our emotions. Emotions are like fireworks. So hear me carefully on this. Emotions are like fireworks. They explode upon ignition, whether it's excitement, anger, joy, sorrow, frustration. But only those emotions tied to a certain thing or certain things will burst forth from our hearts when ignited. When, uh, when the New Zealand All Blacks win the rugby world championship, what do your emotions do? What's rugby? <laughs> All Blacks. Is that racist? New Zealand. Where that? Around here, that's what our emotions do because we, nothing's registering. When the Dallas Cowboys win a game, you think, wow, they're capable of it. <laughs> and you get excited. Best Worst team money can buy. But when our emotions explode, it's because we've been packing that firework with anger, frustration, wrath, zeal, joy, but it only gets triggered by whatever we decide it's going to be triggered by. Because we'll say, that, that just makes me so mad or that just makes me so happy. We totally pack that firework ourselves. So hopefully in studying this, you'll learn how to unpack the wrong firework and repack the proper firework. Think about when we we come back together in a service and maybe we hear about our Saturday evangelism, one, three people to Christ, three folks got born again, and two people got spirit-filled. Folks who don't know God, they don't know what to process that with. But those of us that are saved, we cheer because we rejoice that one got saved, much less three, uh, because we've been packing that firework with excitement over somebody giving their life to Christ. But for the pagan or the non-believer or someone who doesn't understand our local verbiage, which is being born again, maybe theirs is decision for Christ. If we'd have said three folks made a decision for Christ, they'd be just as excited. But we use the term born again, and they're not familiar with that. Church of Christ would say they got water baptized, because that's their vernacular, which is another debate altogether. It is worth noting that many of the following verses imply our personal responsibility to either prohibit certain emotions or produce others. And this is what's critical. The Bible commands us many times to manifest emotions we currently don't have. You might have joy, but you don't manifest it when God does. Rejoice in the Lord always. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter how you feel. God's telling you how to feel. He's telling you to feel happy. Or, you should be sad. Shame on you. Well, I'm not sad. Well, you should be, because you sinned against your God. Shame on you. Why are you not sorrowful? Because I don't feel sad. Like the whore in Proverbs, she consumes a house, wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. All right. If God commands something, then it is possible. In the following verses, observe how the heart is capable of hate, heaviness, brokenness, joy, awe, desolation, Bitterness, sorrow, frustration, trouble, jealousy, strife, and love. All of those are emotions that we will see the Bible tied directly to our heart. Now remember, we're proving our definition that our heart is the manifestation of whatever our soul does and keeps on doing. Our heart and our spirit man are not the same thing. It is biblically impossible, it is biblically prohibited. So we're just proving that. Because if you can see this, you can begin to change your emotions. You can begin to change your heart. You can begin to change your mind. You can change your heart. If you can change your will, you can change your heart. So let's look at several sections here. Usually I run through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in in biblical order, but now I decided to lump groups of verses together based on their emotional title. So our first section of verses is going to be talking about broken hearts. This is how you know for sure the heart and the spirit aren't the same because you can't break a born-again spirit. But you can be born again and have a broken heart. And we're going to have a lesson called healing the broken heart, maybe broken-hearted, desperately, wicked, incurably sick, because this still applies to the New Testament believer. Uh, You can have a healed heart today, and next week grandma died, and your heart be broken all over again. Psalm 109, 16 because that he remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. We see Psalm begin to use the concept of broken in heart, talking about a wicked person. A wicked person doesn't show mercy. He beats a man when he's down. That's what a wicked person does. Won't help the persecuted, won't help the needy. He will even try to slay the broken in heart. Psalm 109, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. We've all had our hearts wounded, either through an insult, through callous, uh, being callously ignored, maybe somebody not appreciating what we did for them. So we see here an emotional heart, and that's okay. This was David. He was a mighty man of valor. Nobody would come up to David ever and call him a sissy because he would just snap, whistle twice, and five guys would fall upon you with swords. And he'd say, come again? <laughs> Psalm 147.3, he healeth the broken in heart. Aren't you glad for that? Because that's all going to be us at some point. It has all been us at another point. And if he's ever healed your heart before, he'll heal it again. And you need to submit to him and pursue the healing of the heart. Because when your heart is broken and it's sick, you can't operate in faith like you need to. It's like fragmented. When, When it's fragmented, it doesn't perform as possible. It can perform, but it's going to sputter. And pu- 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 when, you're, when you're always offended, when you're always hurt, when you're always cast down, there'll be no confidence, there'll be no strength, there'll be no joy, there'll be no peace. There'll be none of that that you need to harness the, fat, the power and the muscle of faith to move God and move a mountain. That's why broken hearts are okay, but don't keep them broken. Your car breaking down, in a sense, is okay, but get that thing towed to the shop and get it fixed. Don't putter through life with a broken heart. Get that thing fixed. He heals the broken heart and binds up their wounds. That would indicate a heart wound because we're not talking, the context is a heart thing, not a physical wound, though he does heal wounds as well. Then, of course, we know Isaiah 61, quoted in Luke 4. And the Lord Jesus, this was his custom to preach it everywhere he went. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, one of the things I've been teaching the last two or three years is that the gospel is only anointed for the meek. You say, well, the gospel is always anointed. No, we know it's always anointed, but it only makes a difference in the lives of the meek. You have to be teachable. Meek just means teachable. You have to be teachable for the gospel to benefit you. In fact, Hebrews 4 tells us the gospel preached unto them and us did not benefit them because it was not mixed in faith. So the gospel does not benefit everybody. It benefits the meek. It benefits the meek. And God can only heal the brokenhearted for those that are meek. It is possible to be brokenhearted and to want to use it. And that's not meek. That's pride. It's possible to be brokenhearted and to want to exploit that. But the meek person says, Lord, I hurt. My heart is broken. Fix me. And once you know that that's how it works, you're obligated to go get fixed because the longer your heart is broken, the less you're able to do for God. And some folks just choose to be broken for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. It just hurts. It just hurts. Sweetie, grow up. Or do we need to sing that REM song? Everybody hurts. Some Even that pagan homosexual... Said, sometimes. I'm sorry, Michael Stipe, come sing it in my church because it seems like it's all the time. I'm not picking on you just a little. The crux of the gospel, according to Isaiah 61, is he heals the brokenhearted. You want Jesus Christ anointed in your life? Say, fix me. Yeah. Fix me. And then go out there and get broken again because if you're going to serve God, you're going to get shot at and people are going to throw hammers at you. And you don't don't fear it because you think, break me. God will fix me tonight when I get in prayer. Amen. Amen. All right. It is widely understood that any pain of heart is expressed in terms of emotional hurt, right? We cry. We get angry. We get frustrated. These are all symptoms of a broken heart. The, The fact that the heart can be broken is one of the proofs that the heart and the spirit cannot be the same thing. Furthermore, a heart can be healed today only to be broken again next week. Just ask any love struck teenager I'm never going to love again, Mama. And the next week she's dating Bobby. And then, then he breaks up with her I'm never going to love men or jerks. And then six weeks later she's dating Timmy. Yeah, it's because she has poor parents. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's look at our next group of verses bitter, hateful, and strife filled hearts. These are also emotions. Bitterness is an emotion. Hate is an emotion. Strife is an emotion. Psalm 105, 25, He turned their heart to hate His people, to deal subtly with His servants. Proverbs fourteen ten. The heart knows his own bitterness, and a stranger does not intermeddle with his joy. So there we see bitterness and joy proceeding forth out of the heart. James 3.14, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Don't act like it. We in religious circles, we know when we have bitter envying and strife in our hearts, and then we come to church with a smile. It says glory not and lie not against the truth. Just be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Lord, I'm not happy. Lord, I don't like them. Lord, they irritate me. And watch how quickly the Lord can help you resolve that. Those emotions are not wrong, but maybe the direction they're pointed will make you wrong. It's okay to be bitter. It's okay to be full of envy as long as it's in the right direction. And we can even say, boy, you guys got so blessed. I'm just envious. You guys make me envy. In fact, we even know the word blessed means to be envied. So the emotion itself is not wrong, but how we use it and where we direct it is what will get us in trouble Amen Let me also throw this out there because emotions are a lot like our thoughts and even our wants they can briefly be there in your mind briefly be there in your soul but it doesn't mean you act on them it doesn't mean they're proceeding out of your heart you can in a moment of time be tempted with wicked bitterness and say nope I refuse to be bitter I refuse it nope I refuse to be envious nope nope I refuse to be full of strife But there's that temptation. And if you bite on that lure, it will get down into you and your heart will become a bitter heart. Your heart will become a strife-filled heart. You can tell strife-filled people because everywhere they go, they just stir up stink. And I've begun to observe this now as a minister, that there are certain people, they're almost like a demonic plant. They have a spirit of strife on them, and they just go from church to church or business to business or friendship to friendship, and they seem to just curse it. It's like everywhere they go, they walk into a house, and when they walk out, the house collapses. They walk into a business, when they walk out, the business collapses because there's a spirit on them. They have opened themselves up to bitterness or strife for envy. It didn't start that way. It started as a temptation to get offended, to be sorrowful, to, to be envious, and they didn't keep it in its proper biblical context. They allowed it to consume them, and now it is the attitude, or we would even say the spirit, that defines them. If you're going to live through life, you're going to experience all these emotions. But I would honestly tell you none of them should define you but love, joy, and peace. Those are the emotions that we ought to be defined by. We're all going to experience bitterness. We're going to experience hatred. We should hate sin. But we're not defined by hate. We're not hate-filled people, but we have hate for sin. We're going to experience envy. We're going to experience some strife. We're going to experience some anger. Experience all of it. It makes life rich. We are not... Um, Communists who are just like gray and dark blue and silver and have nothing else in our life. There's a richness to all this, but we have to keep it biblical. Of these three verses, the third verse should concern us the most, the fact that New Testament born-again believers must be warned against developing bitter envying and strife in their hearts further informs our doctrine that the heart and spirit are two separate entities. We would never say be careful lest you get any bitterness in your spirit. Be careful lest you get any strife in your spirit. No, we would never say that because that's biblically impossible if you're born again. It is no wonder Paul had to pray, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Now, here we have a, a biblical tension because Romans 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And here, uh, Thessalonians says the Lord must direct your hearts into the love of God. Which is it? Yes. It's been shed abroad. And we still have to be directed there on a regular basis. So there's a couple verses showing some negative, we might say negative emotions if they get down into your heart. They can really affect you. How about heavy, burdened, grieved, and sorrowful hearts? We will all experience this as well, but we don't live there. You live in any of those, you'll fall under the spirit of depression. You live under depression long enough, you'll open up to the spirit of suicide. The key is to find whatever the source of heaviness, burden, grief, and sorrow is and to eliminate it or resolve the problem. Even the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can be burdened. The Holy Ghost can be grieved. The Holy Ghost can be made sorrowful. And He moves quickly to resolve it. If you grieve Him in a service, does He stick around? He leaves the source of grief. How come? Well, it's because He's God. So how come the Holy Spirit's smarter than us? Why will you continue to harbor a friendship that brings you nothing but grief and sorrow? I mean, are you just, you just like pain? No. Even a dog knows to run when it's kicked. And yet we're weird, and we want to stick around and keep investing in a black hole that brings nothing but grief, sorrow, and pain. By uh, deep personal experience, we are all very familiar with heavy hearts, burdened hearts, and sorrowful hearts. We've all experienced this. Sorrow and grief are powerful emotions. There is a place where you can harness those to receive a miracle. And I'm thinking about Hannah in 1 Samuel. She was so sorrowful and so grieved, she wanted this baby so bad, she refused to cope with the barren womb. So there is a place where we can use these emotions to manifest faith because they trigger our want of desperate need from God. But if we just sit in sorrow and pity party, that's not going to accomplish anything. Genesis 6, 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. God has a heart and it can be grieved. So don't feel bad when you feel grief. I, I want to take a moment and, and, and correct something the, the hyper word of faith folks have said that is dead wrong. They have said, sorrow and grief is not faith, and it does not please God, and it is not of God. I've heard it said by several prominent Word of Faith leaders. Actually, both of them in context of someone passing away. I refuse to mourn because mourning's not faith. I refuse to grieve because grief is not faith. Well, you should tell God he, he's not a God of faith. Because it grieved him that he made man. Not that anybody even died. He just grieved him at his heart, he made man. So how is it not a faith? Especially when the Bible says there is a time to mourn, there is a time to grieve, and then there's a time to rejoice and dance. I understand we can get in the ditch where we're always mourning and grieving. We can also get in the ditch where we're always laughing and dancing. How about just down the middle of the road again? It repented, excuse me, it grieved God at his heart. Once again, we see God has a heart and he can be grieved there first samuel 1.8. then said elkanah her husband to her hannah why weepest thou and why eatest thou not and why is thy heart grieved am not i better to thee than 10 sons once again a man showing he's a total moron why are you so sad am i not better to you than 10 sons and of course the answer is no guy you are not Because when a woman wants a baby, the husband is not going to take care of this situation. Yes, she's thankful she has a husband, but you're not a baby. Every woman, every mother gets that. I love my husband, but you're not a baby. Thank God you're not a baby, but you're not a baby. And no, you are not as good as 10 sons. I just want one son. And he, once again, typical man, why are you crying? What's wrong? Why won't you talk to me? Why are you so sad? Am I not the jackpot in your life? (laughs) Deep emotional sorrow becomes grief of heart. It's one thing to be sad for a moment, but it's not deep grief of heart. We might be sorrowful that our team lost the championship, but that doesn't become depression unless you're weird. You might be sad your dog of 15 years died, but if you become depressed over that, you need to really get a hold of your emotions. I get it. It was a companion. But we're dealing with Christians now that are getting into depression and needing therapy because their, their fur baby got hit by a car. That mocks God. Let me be very clear. I'm glad you have a Shih Tzu, but that's not the comforter. That is idolatry. And I get... That little that little hairy Shih Tzu named Mr. Wiggles, he comforts you, and he you've attached your soul to him. You know, we always teach our teenagers be careful of soul attachments, soul ties. You can have one with a dog, and that's weird. It's just as sinful as a teenager having a soul tie with a girl. But we won't teach that because the pastor's wife has sixteen soul ties with her menagerie of fur babies. All right. I want to move on because we have like five more pages to cover. (laughs) Heart grief begins with what we might call emotions of sorrow, but the longer they are dwelt upon, the deeper those roots or sorrow extend. This, This is where you need to have the Holy Ghost come in and heal your heart. There's probably nothing more traumatic than losing a spouse, except for maybe losing a small child, maybe even a grown child. And I, I, I'm thankful I've never experienced that kind of loss, but that is where you need to have the Holy Spirit come in and begin to heal you because there's no reason to let the rest of your life suffer or your marriage suffer or your other children suffer because a family member has passed away. And yet some Christians will not restrain their emotions and discipline them, and they will allow depression to come in. A real quick story because I really do need to move along in this curriculum. I went to Poland years ago on a mission trip, beautiful young girl, I was on a team, she was on the team, her name was Karen Beam, beautiful young girl, I was in college, she was in high school and she was like the star volleyball player, star track star, outspoken Christian and tragically, we got back from this mission trip and she was killed in a car accident after school, after high school and this is in my hometown where I grew up and she was just T-boned coming out of high school, killed her instantly, um, anyway, her brother who was in the passenger seat, he was preserved, he was okay. It mangled her face, but she was so popular, they reconstructed her face out of wax, did an open casket funeral. Forty people got saved at her, at her funeral. The funeral was packed full of every walk of high school life, the goths, the jocks, the nerds, the geeks, the pot smokers. She was just that popular. And her mother, of course, she, she leaves a mother, a brother, and a husband, Her mother could not cope with her loss. And when they would ask, how are you doing? All her confession was, I just want to go see Karen. I just want to go be with Karen. I just want to go be with Karen. And within, I want to say two years, mama was dead of a weird, rare cancer of the lining of the blood vessels. And I hurt for the whole family because dad needs his wife and boy needs his mama. But I understand the sorrow of losing a child, especially as tragic as that was. But you still have responsibilities to those who are alive and remain. And so rather than your confession, and she was just being honest, I just want to go be with Karen. I just want to go be with Karen. She got to go be with Karen very quickly. We, we have a time to mourn, and we have a time to weep, and we have a time to be sorrowful, but we must get with the Holy Spirit And allow him to mend that heart because life does go on and we weep and mourn, but not as those who have no hope. And to fall into depression at some point becomes selfish. Now, I'm not mocking depressed people, but please hear it on this side of depression. To allow yourself to fall into depression becomes very selfish for those that depend upon you. Because it's when you fall, when you allow yourself, or when you're on this side of joy and peace, and that's where you're at, and something happens, and you allow yourself, when you've been taught and trained better, to fall into depression, it becomes selfish because you're not willing to fight and push back and say, No, bless God, my spouse needs me, my children need me, my parents need me, my family needs me. You don't have permission to stay in depression. You don't have permission to flirt with it. You have biblical permission to weep and mourn, but not as those who have no hope. And then at some point you turn the page and joy comes in the morning. Now just keep that in mind today while you're on this side of happiness. Because we'll all have an opportunity to get into a funk. And you've been taught better now. All right. Uh, Psalm 55, four, My heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are falling upon me. Well, I think if death is in your face, you have permission to be a little pained in your heart. But you don't have permission to be pained in your heart because Mr. Wiggles got hit by a Mack truck. Amen. No other culture but the West, since the Egyptians has worshipped animals quite like we do. It's Christmas time, you know. And how many Christmas cards will you get which will feature animals as part of the family? I'm not against pets, so let me balance this. I'm not against a good barn cat. I'm not against a good... I'm not against a whole barn full of cats. But we don't have permission from God to exalt the beast of field that Psalm 8 says is under our feet to human status and family status. That is wicked, perverse doctrine that Americans embrace and don't even realize we're embracing it. Psalm 8 says he has put all things under our feet. And Sister Weirdo says, well, not Mr. Wiggles and not Mr. Wiggles. The Bible's not talking about you, Mr. Wiggles, or me and my weirdness. Here, be my fur baby. Did you see about the lady on the airplane that was trying to breastfeed her cat? I repent to our African brothers and sisters. Only weird white people in America would think about taking a cat on an airplane and then breastfeeding it at 30,000 feet. You're too mean, Pastor. This is where this has gotten us, breastfeeding cats at 30,000 feet. Dr. Sumrall said in the 50s, the last thing he saw strike America was bestiality and he said he saw a woman say my my little puppy gets so nervous until i give him sex what do you think breastfeeding a cat is all about do 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 hey man all right psalm seventy three twenty one. at least we're not hammering on woke this morning that's all i can say Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. That is my emotions. And so we see the heart and emotions tied together there. My heart was grieved. My emotions or reins, King James' word, was pricked. David expresses the work of sorrow in two different places, in his emotions and in his heart. Psalm 107, 12. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help he brought down their heart. That's discouragement. That's oppression. That's depression. Psalm 143, 4. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. That would be the word attitude. My heart within me is desolate. We're finding discouragement here. Psalm 12:25. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word makes it glad. Isn't, isn't it something just to get a good word of encouragement causes you to stand up? Heaviness in the heart will cause your countenance to stoop. But heaviness in the heart, many times that's a choice too, by the way. That's why we encourage ourselves, we encourage ourselves, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. You don't need a man, thank God if you have one to encourage you, but you can encourage yourself and you need to learn to do so. Proverbs 14, 13, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful and the end of that mirth is heaviness. That's a religious facade. Even in in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. We've often made the observation most of your most famous comedians battled depression more than anybody else. How many of the famous comedians overdosed or committed suicide? They could make everybody else laugh, but it was, it was a false balm of Gilead for their depressed, tortured soul. Proverbs twenty-five twenty: As he that taketh away a garment in cold, in a cold winter, and, and as vinegar upon nighters, so is he that singeth songs to a heavy heart. You can't encourage those who don't want to be encouraged. Isaiah 1.5, Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. Some people are just sick in the head. And that's why we're teaching these lessons so that we can find some healing for our head. The whole heart is faint. When you faint in your heart, that's an emotional response. Jeremiah 4.19, My bowels, my bowels. That is to say, if you ever been in so much emotional distraught, your insides hurt. When you hear something tragic, or you can be so full of joy, you hurt so much just laughing. Yeah. My bowels, my bowels, I'm pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Now, let's break this down real quick because this is a very critical verse. Jeremiah's experience was intense for several reasons, and it would not have been intense for us. Now, this is further evidence the heart is trained. He loved Israel deeply. We don't. It's not our nation. Now, we're supposed to. We're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but that was his people. He had prophesied for years to prevent this moment that was falling upon them, so he had a vested stake of ministry in this moment He knew what judgment was coming, and he knew what a war trumpet sounded like. So the final thing he says is, I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. The reason he says, my bowels, my bowels, is because what he's hearing is the approach of the Babylonian army, blowing their horns of imminent siege and destruction. And his you can imagine just collapsing, like if you were to just get word your child was killed in a car accident. You wouldn't fall down on your knees and sob inconsolably if the neighbor's cousin's son died in a car accident because you don't know them. There's no vested heart interest there. And if we got word that Ukraine's army was just routed by the Russian army, it wouldn't mean anything to us. But if your son was Ukrainian and in that army, you would fall down and say, my bowels, my bowels. All these variables caused the intense emotional response to the sound of the Babylonian war trumpet. The sound of the same trumpet would cause a modern believer to wonder in ignorance, asking, what's that noise? You guys hear something? Jeremiah knew exactly what it was, and it caused a deep guttural grief and sorrow, but that had to be trained We wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't even know what's going on. What's that dust cloud out there? He knew it was the Babylonians coming. The time of judgment had befallen. He knew a third of Israel would be gone in a matter of months. And there was nothing he could do to stop it. This is just evidence that your heart is what you emote and keep on emoting. We don't all respond the same emotionally to the same stimuli because we haven't been trained to. Amen. Luke 21:34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged or burdened. Don't let your heart be burdened. Don't let your heart be burdened with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Some Christians are so busy with life, 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 they'll never recognize when the war, the end of the world has come upon them. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice that trouble and fear are come out of the heart. Proverbs says, be not afraid of sudden fear. That's a fear that just hits your head. And in a moment of time, you're afraid. That's when you got to get a hold of yourself. But if, if you don't, that thing will get entrenched in you and you'll be consumed of fear. Listen to me very carefully because some of you deal with fear. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear, but you've allowed fear to entrench in your heart that if you are squeezed, nothing but fear comes out. And then every decision you make is based on fear. And everything you purchase and everything you say and everywhere you go is designed to comfort you and insulate you from fear. Therefore, your whole life is not steered by God, but by a response to fear. That doesn't have to be your life. You can beat that thing. You can find a voice in your life You don't know God's voice yet, but a voice you can trust who will say you don't have to be afraid. Let's move on. You don't have to be afraid. Let's move on. All right. Got to keep moving here. Jesus revealed there are two kinds of peace available on the earth. The world's peace and his peace. God's peace will drive fear out of our hearts, no matter the source of fear. John 16, 6. But because I've said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. The hearing of evil tidings can fill our hearts with instant sorrow, but only if we judge those tidings evil. We might find evil or sorrowful, the death of a respected person, in this case Christ. We might find, uh, what we might find evil or sorrowful, others like the Pharisees might find praiseworthy and cause for celebration. You, no doubt when Brother Hagin passed away 18 years ago, we wept, Others rejoiced because they thought he was a heretic. When Billy Graham passed away, we wept. Others rejoiced. It's all about what your heart is trained to value, and you can change it if you want to. Romans 9, 2. I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for Israel's salvation. No other epistle author made this claim. It might be safe to assume that among the apostolic authors, Paul had the deepest affection and love for the Jews, the thought of them going to hell pained his heart, but he also was pained for the Corinthians. Chapter two, verse chapter uh, chapter two four, verse four. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Paul loved the Corinthians, and even though he had just scalded them for two epistles, he says, "I love you," and I do this because your sin makes me hurt. Their sinfulness and spiritual immaturity afflicted his heart. Yet sorrow didn't define Paul's life. He was also full of joy. It is healthy to be able to swing from sorrow to joy depending upon what you're looking at. Don't you know God looks at the birth of your child with joy and the born-again salvation of your child with joy and your wedding day with joy, and simultaneously across town, he's weeping over someone falling into fornication, adultery, and having an abortion. He can be both at the same time. We tend to get into like a one-hit wonder mode. We're either always sad or we're like crazy happy, and I mean crazy in a crazy way. But to be balanced, we're able to manifest whatever needs to be manifested in that moment. Excited your kid just got an A+, plus and then turn around and whip this kid in the same moment for being brutal to the third kid. And then fall back and give your spouse a kiss. That's healthy. That's control. The person out of control rejoices over the A-plus and then beats the kid for being ruthless to the third kid and then stays angry the rest of the night over the kid who was ruthless to the third kid. You've got to be a lot more in control than that. Um, other scriptures you can look at there. Joy-filled hearts. Some people choose to live sorrowful, downcast lives, but the Bible also speaks of joy-filled hearts. How many of you know joy is better than sorrow? Yeah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, sorrow is necessary for repentance, but joy is our strength. Psalm 119, Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Here the Bible tells us what we should rejoice over that is, the testimonies of God. We must teach our hearts to rejoice in the testimonies of our God. So, uh, Proverbs 15, 13 A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. My pastor in Indy would say, Smile, it adds face value. Amen. But by the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Two different emotions coming out of the heart. This proverb contrasts the merry heart with the sorrowful heart. Both are necessary in their appropriate time. Sorrow in times of repentance and loss, joy in times of celebration and victory. Don't mix those up. Proverbs fifteen fifteen. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. It is better to be happy. You can be full of joy even when things are horrible. Joy has nothing to do with outward circumstances. Happiness does. Joy is of the heart. You can be full of joy at your father's funeral because he's in heaven. Or if he's in hell, well, I'm not going there, and I still find joy in that. Proverbs 15, 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones fat. Just as what you hear can activate your heartfelt emotions, what you look at can activate the same emotions. You can have a bad day, come home and look at your baby, and your heart just smile because there's my baby. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Proverbs 17:22, "A cheerful heart is good medicine. Some of you, your problem is you're not happy. you're not cheerful. That's why you're always sick. Always fearful of the next sickness. So you just,. Mm. You find joyful people, they very rarely fight sickness. It's a choice, and in my household we choose happy. Shake yourself, grab a hold of yourself and say, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God." A broken spirit saps a person's strength, a broken attitude, a broken countenance. It'll suck your strength out of you. Depressed people have trouble getting out of bed. Rejoice not when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. This is the scriptures commanding us what to do with joy. One critical aspect of heart stewardship is being ever mindful to use our emotions biblically and restraining them from sinful applications. Proverbs 27, 11, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproaches me. Don't you know a, an obedient son makes your heart glad? Proverbs 27:9, uh, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Our heart can rejoice over natural things like perfume and cologne, especially when we're in love. You know, that girl of yours, she has a certain smell. And when you smell that smell, your heart smiles. That man of yours, he has a certain musk, man musk. Man strength, cologne, deodorant, and a long day. That's the smell of my man. Makes your heart rejoice. Skunk. Does not make the heart rejoice. <laughs> Abigail would have said when she was two or three, what that smell in my nose, daddy? <laughs> it's a skunk. What a skunk? That smell you smell. It's a bad smell in my nose, daddy. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 2, Tim. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Some of you punish yourself by withholding your heart from joy. Don't do that. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. It's a choice. Enjoy your job. It's a choice. Enjoy your job. It's a choice. And this also was all my portion, or my portion of all my labor. Ecclesiastes 520. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answers him in the joy of his heart. A New Living Translation says, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. It's a good verse. People that please him, he keeps them so busy enjoying life. They have no time to brood over the past. Amen. Acts 246, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. If you have church fellowship and food, be happy. It's a choice. It's a choice. You have fellowship with the brethren and food be happy. It's a choice. You're living somebody's dream right now. Do not let your heart bellyache and get down in the mouth and be unthankful. The fact of the matter is you are living somebody's dream. Somebody in your life lusts after your life. And here we are bellyaching about something. God will fix what you want if it lines up with his word, but don't be unthankful. Peace comforted hearts. We've got to really move here. The fact that a heart can be comforted reveals to us quickly that the heart can be changed in very short order. You ever thought about that? If it can be comforted, it means it can be changed from downcast and sad to happy and joyful, and it doesn't take long. An encouraging word can change a heart in a flash of time. That means we can change our heart in a flash of time. An encouraging word can quickly extinguish stress, fear, sorrow, hopelessness. Proverbs 14, 30. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. These are heart conditions. Ephesians 6, 22. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Notice New Testament spirit-filled Christians need their hearts comforted. Colossians 2.2, that their their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and into all riches of the full assurance of understanding and the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father of Christ. Hearts being comforted. Colossians 3.15, and the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. We're called into the peace of the body of Christ. But notice we have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, which means if we don't let that peace rule, something else will rule in our hearts. And whatever we let rule didn't come into rulership overnight. Another verse that confirms our definition, that your heart is whatever you emote and keep on emoting. You may have to get to a place where your daily confession is, I choose peace. Amen. Nope, Lord, I'm concerned, but it's not my concern. I choose peace. Lord, I cast all my cares over on you. The Greek says, I roll them off of me and onto you. Because you care for me. It's a choice, to choice, to choice. Peace is a choice. Peace is a choice. Let it rule in your hearts. This is part of your calling. If you don't let peace rule, something else will, and it will be you by de facto giving it rulership. Please, come, bitterness, rule over me. Please depression, come and rule over me. Or please, peace, come and rule over me." Second Thessalonians 2:17. "Now may our Lord Jesus comfort your hearts, not Mr. Wiggles. Who's the, who's, the, who's the baby? Come here and lick mommy in the mouth after you've been licking every neighborhood dog in the rear end. Come here and lick mommy in the mouth. You are a sicko. You know, while you've been gone, that dog has eaten dead animal, neighbor turd, and sniffed other dogs in the rear end. And when you get home from work, you can't wait for Mr. Wiggles to jump up in your lap and lick your face and your whiskers and your nose and your mustache and your lips. Again, I repent to our African brothers and sisters because only weird white people do this. You let an animal lick you in the face, and we've been taught this is normal. And some of those people won't even kiss their spouse. Sleep in different bedrooms, but you let Mr. Wiggles give you the tongue. You're a sicko and you need to repent. I don't even know who that's for. Sometimes I think Pod's school, that's going to hit somebody in you know, Brooklyn, New York, five years from now. And they'll email us and say, you were talking right to me. And we recorded that five years ago. <laughs> Comfort your hearts. I don't even know how we got off on that. Prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Other emotions, awe, heart sickness, fretting, that's an emotion that you let get in your heart. And when it gets in your heart, you'll fret over everything. Some folks are moved by nothing. Other folks fret over everything. And those are the people you just want to shake and say, shut up, stop. Why do you fret over everything? Ravishment. Oh, my wife, my, my sister, you've ravished my heart. That means he's drunk in love. Vexation and restlessness. Charity. That's one of the big ones of the New Testament, charity out of a pure heart. We load our heart with emotions by emoting and continuing to emote. Only the emotions that we have loaded into our hearts can uh, burst forth and only with the right igniter. Let us always take note of which emotions we are loading and to what we are assigning them. Amen.